to 2 Timothy, the second epistle of Paul, the apostle to Timothy. If you need a Bible, there's one provided under one of the chairs in front of you, or you can look on with a neighbor. And uh, if you need a study sheet, a study sheet will be very helpful today. I put a lot of information on it so you can pay closer attention and not have to take a lot of notes. So a study sheet, just raise your hand. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. You're in a safe place. So raise your hand and get the usher's attention, and they'll bring a study sheet to you. title of today's message is How to Avoid Error. And our text is 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. If you're a guest with us, we're in an expositional study of the book of 2 Timothy. We did 1 Timothy last year and finished it last year, and we're making our way through this incredible epistle right now. This is a letter specifically to a pastor to apply in his own life, and then in turn to teach these exact same things to others. So all of these things apply directly to all of us. If you'll follow along uh, in this study, how to avoid error. I mean, I, I can't emphasize this enough. And this is so important. And it's as simple as can be. And if you'll just take this simple formula you'll be able to avoid error. So please uh, listen carefully, and if, especially if you're a newer believer, if you're younger in the faith, very, very important, important for all of us. So why don't you follow along as I open up with these opening paragraphs. So far, our studies of chapter 2 have revealed instructions to multiply disciples. You see that in verses 1 and 2. This is achieved by following successful patterns. Good soldier, champion athlete, fruitful farmer, and we see that in verses 3 through 7. Remembering our eternal glory. That's a very important fact that we need to remember. We're going to receive a little bit of that today. That was in verses 8 through 14. And making sure we study, study by rightly dividing the Scriptures, and that was uh, verse 15. We ended up on a, a five-week study of that. One week was for the verse, and then four weeks I gave you some methods of Bible study. And the methods of Bible study that I gave you are just a few. And uh, I did not compete with our uh, elective course that we teach here on how to study the Bible. Uh, you'll get other methods and be looking at those more in depth, and that starts in, in June. Thank you, Aaron. And so uh, <clears throat> that'll be happening here in the future. So very, very, very important issues. Now today, our text shifts to a more ominous yet critical part of disciple-making, because that's the flow of this whole chapter. Uh, if you're in the multiplying business, uh, this is a huge issue we're going to deal with today, and that's shunning blasphemous fallacies. That's a, man, that's a mouthful. <clears throat> From the earliest days of Christianity to modern times, there have been those that overthrow the faith of some believers. These propagators of error operate intentionally as heretics because they themselves have been deceived. You know, there's, there are the false teachers, there are the heretics, and then there are the victims of false teachers or the victims of heretics. And a lot of times, eventually, they end up crossing over and being the false teacher or the heretic themselves. This type of sinful activity is not only ungodly, but sadly, it is contagious. And the reason is, it's because of sin, and we'll talk about that today. This is why a strong Bible-believing local church that preaches and teaches uh, what the Bible says, specifically, combined with one-on-one -on -one discipleship, is why it's so important. Today's text names those that were harming weaker believers while giving helpful instructions on how to 
avoid error. And again, important information when instructed to multiply. Let's go ahead and uh, look with me. Why don't you, while I read, why don't you follow along? Verse 16, I'll read our text today. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Let's pray. Lord, it's just so disturbing when I see this happen in people's lives. They they start to do well and and they get caught up in false things. It's not always just religious. Here it is in this text, but they get caught up in the world and the world's religion of self, materialism, fun, pleasure, whatever. And there's just religions we see people and false doctrines that people buy into. And it's so, I can't imagine how you feel, Father. And if it's disturbing to us and disturbing to me, I can't imagine how you feel about that. <clears throat> but you listed these things and told us about them in your word. And So I pray somehow, Lord, today that I'd be out of the way and that this would all make sense, that I'd be able to articulate your words to our church because they're very valuable words, very important instruction that you've given us. And thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your words and how beautiful and precious they are. May we not let one of them fall to the ground. So we ask, Lord, very humbly that your spirit would bless the reading and study of your words today. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone present here that's yet unsaved, that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're going to start with number one, the heretics. And first we notice that their names are listed. Their names are actually listed. Look in verse 17 again. We have, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. Now, this guy, Hymenaeus, he's found back in 1 Timothy. You can hold your place here and turn just a couple of pages over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So this guy's mentioned twice in the Bible. Let's pick up in verse 18. It'll give us a little context of who this guy is and what he's all about. Verse 18 This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy at this time is the pastor at the church of Ephesus, one of the pastors there. And he was on Paul's missionary journeys, and Paul has discipled this young man. And he cares very much about him, and I'm glad that he wrote him these letters. We have them to glean from today through the Spirit of God. So this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. You know, a shipwreck, abruptly being removed from your course or your the plan that you were on. You're being abruptly removed from that because of a storm, because of waves and billows. We, we sang about that today. Our anchor holds fast in those things. And that's really what this text is all about that we're studying today in 2 Timothy. Of whom is, here's our man, <clears throat> Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may, what? Learn not to blaspheme. That they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, I want you to notice that it says about this guy concerning him, God considers coming against heretics and heresy as warfare. You guys see that in that text? It's warfare of a spiritual nature. And this man, Hymenaeus, was 
publicly singled out by name for his blasphemous work twice. Twice. Now, we talked about him back in our study of 1 Timothy. Uh, Hymenaeus was self-willed. He was contentious toward authority, uh, rebellious. He, he didn't like being under authority of any kind. He wanted the preeminence. He, he liked being uh, uh, up front, and he, he liked that preeminence. And because of it, he was drawing other Christians into his blasphemous beliefs. And he obviously was causing problems because he's mentioned twice. And think about this, when we read his name in 1 Timothy, you know, anywhere from one and a half to three years have passed, and he's mentioned again So he's in 2 Timothy. And so he's still creating problems, because here in 2 Timothy, he still, he still remains a blasphemer. There's been no repentance in his life. But now he has another co-worker. Back in 1 Timothy, it was Alexander, and now it's a guy named Philetus, and he's on your study sheet, and he's not referred to anywhere else in Scripture. But we know he too is a blasphemer of truth, as Paul's public marking, he, they, he marks them publicly, as Paul's public marking indicates. Now, just some notes about these men. And again, this is just my opinion. Uh, it sure seems clear to me, though, but it doesn't appear as though either man is unsaved that they're not lost men. They're likely just prideful and ungodly Christians. Now, again, I could be wrong, but why turn them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme? I mean, it, it seems that that'd be something that we would say about a believer because we have, have had her many heretics over the years in our presence. And that's what we would say about them, and that's how we would pray because they're trying to subvert the, subvert the faith of many to overthrow their faith. So, you know, I would think if they were lost, he'd be praying for their salvation, and not many people would really be listening to them, although there are certainly lost false teachers. So it doesn't really appear that these guys in particular are unsaved, just likely prideful and ungodly Christians. And they clearly have not responded to admonition. Uh, let's look what, uh, Mackenzie, wouldn't you put that up on the board? Yeah, Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. It's very similar. It's a parallel passage. He says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. It's a, a very parallel passage. And then he goes into this. He says, A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, what do you do? You reject. You stiff-arm them. You reject them, knowing that he that is such is subverted. They are subverted themselves, and sinneth being condemned of himself. They're condemned of their own, of their own words, not condemned in the sense of... Uh, uh, going to hell, but condemned because they're involved in things that don't line up with what the Bible says. And so that's the instruction. So these guys clearly, and Paul wrote that, so, you know, these guys clearly have not responded because they would have been uh, uh, approached at least two times, probably more. And without reservation, Paul publicly marks them as being heretics. And think of this. This is the crazy thing about it. This guy's twice in the Bible. But, I mean, think about it. This guy's marked twice as a heretic, and these words are forever settled in heaven. Forever. So for, for all eternity, this guy's marked as a heretic. Now, I think, you know, I, I'm just kind of, you know, imagining this. This is just a, a, an imaginary view that I have. I wonder how that's going to play out in eternity if this guy is a saved man. You know, and, and you think in a negative sense, but he's redeemed. And so maybe he's going to be incredible in giving that testimony for truth and for righteousness and able to give a great testimony for Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. That's who I was. This is who I am. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Thank God for that I'm secure in Jesus Christ. Thank God that I was sealed by the Holy Spirit when I received Jesus Christ. So when you think of this for all eternities, he's listed in the Bible. That's forever settled in heaven for all eternity. And yet it's not necessarily a negative thing, is it? You know, I got saved much later in life. I was two months shy of my uh, 29th birthday. And I did not live a very desirable life. But I tell you, I am very, very thankful, like many of you. We're, we're, all of us would be thankful no matter what age you got saved. But living, uh, getting saved later in life, man, I understand all that junk, and I am just very thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. So I don't know how that's all going to work out, but that's pretty, that's pretty intense and pretty incredible. Now, the instruction that we just read <clears throat> Uh, for believers in both 2 Timothy and Titus is to reject and avoid them. And in 2 Timothy, it's more specifically about their words. But here in Titus, it's to reject them. So we're connecting these as parallel passages. It's to shun them and their words. Now, that word shun, it's somewhat cultish, isn't it? I mean, are you guys with me on this? I mean, you hear that, and you think, well, they're shunning them. You know, that is what cults do, isn't it? Well, that's not what we do with our own, and yet we're instructed to do that. That's very interesting. Now, that's easier said than done when it's somebody you love, and it's somebody in your family. Hello? So we need to kind of talk about this for a minute. So are these men lost or saved? I don't know. I lean toward the fact that they're believers. But this work of heresy, it's not reserved only for the lost, because that's usually how we present it, do we not? It's usually how we present it. They're a false religion. They're lost. They, they need to get saved. But over the years, I've seen many, many born-again believers become heretics and blasphemers of biblical truth. And for a host of reasons. And I see, uh, you know, I've, I've been around long enough now, and especially been around long enough in the ministry where I see certain character qualities that they have that, that, that are common amongst them. Uh, how about being self-willed is one of them. They manifest either one or more or all of these character qualities. Self-willed, I've already mentioned it about Hymenius. Uh, rebellious toward authority, arrogant. And typically I see they're never satisfied with things that are happening in their life. They're never, they're never satisfied. And very, very carnal. Very, very carnal. Do not follow instructions. They seek to have some type of preeminence. And just like Paul did, we will mark them when they become heretics, when they get involved in some type of false doctrine, because they're always trying to get others to join them. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And we mark them, but generally here in our church, we'll mark them within their peer group, but not usually publicly, openly, because I generally find that only some people know them, and I don't want to spoil our meeting, and you're like, who's that? But we do mark them within their peer group. Uh, there's another reason why we often don't mark them publicly, and that's because they have family members. Well, you've got to be careful who you're talking to in this church. Huh? Everybody's related. Oh, you're related? Yeah. They have family members, uh, maybe an innocent spouse. That happens a lot. The spouse is just innocent, especially if it's the guy, and it usually is. Not always, not always. Sometimes it's the, the wife who's the heretic. But, you know, you got a spouse who's basically innocent, and they're like, what is going on here? Or if maybe for the sake of their children, you know, I always want to leave a door open for restoration. And uh, 
this has happened at least a dozen times in the last 24 years. And I can tell you this story anonymously, um, more recent, probably one of the more recent ones was a man uh, who is in glory right now. Uh, He recently died. He's a fairly young man. And he was a very, very likable man and a very good witness for Jesus Christ. He worked hard to witness for Christ, and he had many positive traits. And he got caught up in, in heresy. And I actually believe that he came here with it. And I don't think he was honest about it because typically they like preeminence. And he tried to subvert some of you. You probably know who I'm talking about. And we marked him as an heretic after admonishing him many, many times. And he was a good guy. But he was very prideful and very, very self-willed. I, during our Thanksgiving service, I'll often ask for testimonies. And they'll range anywhere from three-minute, five-minute, ten-minute, depends on how many and what the, how many people we have giving testimonies. Thank you. you guys love our Thanksgiving service? Well, I had a whole lineup of people that night that I was excited to hear from. And I put him in the lineup, and I was hesitant to do that, but I thought, you know what, let's give him a chance, and let's see what happens. And he had five minutes to give a testimony, and he took 25 minutes. And I, I, it had eliminated four, maybe five other people that were after him because he used up the time. And he didn't give a testimony that he said he was going to give that I worked him through. I didn't work him through his testimony. I worked him through the time. And he attempted to present the gospel, and to be quite honest with you, he did a very poor job of it. And needless to say, I was smoking mad. But it was shame on me because I knew this was true about him, that he was prideful. And so I confronted him afterwards. And I just want to tell you, and I'm setting this up, I'm telling you this story because it's important in the context of this passage today. We often think of sin as, you know, smoking, drinking, cussing, chewing, fighting. I mean, you know, the ladies are out there going, (laughs) fighting maybe, (laughs) arguing. But you guys know what I mean, don't you? We We often think of that, but we don't think of the little things that happen. We don't think, there's things we can be prideful about that things that might be easy to hide from people. Now, I'm not saying I'm an x-ray machine, and I'm not. I haven't received some weird, unusual gift where I can spot this. I've just been dealing with people all my life, very closely. I've always had jobs where I was dealing closely with people, and especially as a minister of the gospel. And so I just notice and observe things. And I had an opportunity to talk to him about this, and he was not happy about it prior to all this unfolding. But when I did confront him about this, he was very angry. And you know what he told me? Too bad. He said, hey, the Holy Spirit of the living God told me to do that. You want to go argue with him? Go ahead. He said that to me. Excuse me? (laughs) Now, if you're a guest with us, I don't think I'm all that. I really don't. You guys know. I'm pretty honest about myself, and I'm just like you guys. I just have a job to do, and I'm the preacher and the chief administrator of this crazy operation. (laughs) But I was able to say clearly, no, I know the Holy Ghost didn't tell you that because I am in charge of these services, and if there's a problem in them, it falls on me. And the plan was five minutes, and not for you to do that. So he didn't tell you to do that, because you were dissing the powers that be, the authorities. And I say that to qualify it with our guests, so I don't think I'm like, I'm the authority. It's not that way. It's just that we have an order of things that's planned. 
I, I know where our church is. I know what's going on. I live this every single day. I think about you and pray for you all every day. And, 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 and I'm not looking for a, 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 a badge or a, or a medal or anything. It's my job. And so we've got a plan for things. And, and there's a reason for stuff. And I'll keep the rest of that conversation to myself. But he was prideful, self-willed. He didn't like authority of any kind. And so when you're, when you're measuring sin, you all, what we tend to do as humans is we find somebody that's really bad to compare ourselves with. But, you know, you can be rebellious toward authority of any kind. In the home, there's a structure. In your school, there's a structure. In the sports you're in, there's a structure. In your job, there's a structure. There's all kinds of structure. In a church, there's a structure. Personally, there's a structure. God. Uh, Stephen, you're going over this. Uh, oh, this Wednesday. All right, so all of you be here on Wednesday. It's a safety net. It's like a safety umbrella that you're under in any one of those areas to follow authority. Now, not blindly or not when it goes against the Word of God, of course, but there's safety in that. And when someone's not willing to follow that authority, guess what? They're in trouble. You're in trouble when you don't follow this authority. You're in big, big trouble. And so he was marked in his group, and some, many of you, you know exactly uh, who I'm, I'm talking about. And it's a shame. And he, I'm not saying this is related to that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying he died. And so we can't talk to him anymore about it. And I have no doubt that I'm going to see him in glory. I have no doubt about it. I don't know for sure if anybody's you know, I can't read somebody's heart and know your mind and all that, but, I mean, he was saved. So those are the heretics in this passage back in 2 Timothy. Now let's observe their methods. If you go back there, let's take a, take a look at it. And we'll start back at the beginning, verse 16. He breaks this up this way because of what he just said in verse 15. But in verse 16, he says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Uh, 17a, And their word, these profane and vain babblings, uh, will eat as doth a canker, as, as does a cancer. Canker is, the, is, a, is an older English word for cancer. In verse 18, who concerning the truth have what? Say it with me. Erred. Uh, and what's the error? Saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Now here's their methods, and we immediately notice that they use cankerous or cancerous words. Words that just, they just start to eat you up. They eat up everything that's good, all the good cells, all the good blood cells, all the, all the stuff. That's what cancer does. It, it tries to take over your body. And that's exactly uh, uh, what is, happens with heresy and false doctrine, tries to eat up our body. It's cancerous. It's words that spread and they increase. It's never simply isolated. It's like gossip. It just spreads, and this is exactly why that they've got to be marked, and it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be. It, you know, we haven't had to mark anybody publicly for a long time, and, and that's because surgically it was able to be removed and observed, and there's no more cancer in our body. So there was no need to go to that next level. Are you guys tracking with me? We want to do things decently in an order here. You know, we, we want to do things privately as much as possible. As much as possible. Sometimes we can't. But that's exactly why 
we, we need to call these guys out. And so, you know, we often, uh, it's not you guys, but uh, we often have guests that come here and they're like, they're talking about people at other churches and talking about uh, this church and that church. Hey, we should. Their teachings are false. They damn people to hell or, or they hurt our body. We have to deal with this stuff. They're cankerous. These words are profane, and that means they're irreverent, they're contemptuous, they're polluted, impure, unholy, ungodly. Godly, that's what it means. These words are vain babblings. They're useless. They're untrue, contagious, foolish talking. Again, like gossip. It's similar to that. They preach and teach error. These guys are preaching and teaching error about the resurrection being passed already. Now, it's not the resurrection of Christ, because that was obviously passed. So it's the resurrection of believers, which for us is the rapture, and concerns the times surrounding the second coming of Christ. In other words, these are errors concerning the timing of these end-time events. Now, we don't know exactly what fallacies they were propagating. We, we don't know. It just says, uh, saying that the resurrection is past already. But this guy's mentioned twice as being a heretic with some stern words said about him. And it's about misplacing and teaching false things about our future. Saying, oh, that's past. And that's cancer. Wow. It's not on the deity of Christ or the Trinity or, or, or any deep thing, eternal security. No, this is about the future. It's about the future events, about the rapture, about the end times. Wow. That's pretty serious. Are you guys tracking with me on this? He marks him over that. <laughs> Yikes. Pretty crazy. So hold your place here, and I want you to consider this. Turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 27. I want you to think about this. I debated about listing this, and even if I was even going to say it, and uh, you know what? I, uh, I was discipling with my young disciple Micah, and we were talking about this, and, uh, and he said, you know, I think you ought to mention that. I think you ought to. So where's Micah? Where is he? Hey, you got a shout out there. Yeah, we, we talked about this, and you're like, no, I think we should, you should mention that. So Micah has influenced this part of the message. Thank you. All right, so this is a past event. This is around the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is in the past. But I want you to notice something very interesting. Look in verse uh, 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So you know, he's, he's, this is the death and the cross. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Wow. Are you ready? And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So that event happened. Now this would have been, I guess, anywhere from, oh man, I didn't do this math, but anywhere from probably, let's say approximately 30 years earlier. Let's just say this would have happened. So some of these people might still be alive when Hymenaeus and Philetus, Alexander, when the Apostle Paul, when they're out ministering, some of these people could still be alive. And that would have been, that would have been quite a story, huh? You know, your, your dead friend, you know, you're in the house working on something. Hello? You open the door, and there they are. Ah! That'd be pretty freaky, wouldn't it? Be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Huh? Whoa! I mean, that's an incredible... That, the Bible says these events didn't take place in a corner, that everybody knew about them. And, and God is so awesome because 
You know, it wasn't just this small little event in this faraway graveyard. I mean, this happened, and then not only that, but all these other people rose from the dead and were walking around, and they're telling people, testifying, hey, Jesus is really alive. I was just somewhere else, (laughs) my spirit and my soul, and now I'm back again. (laughs) Bad. (laughs) I got to die again. But thank God I was born twice. <laughs> born once, born again. Okay. But, so can you imagine this? This was huge. And I have no doubt that's probably part of it. Go back to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah 26. Now, there's a lot going on in Isaiah, and I'm not going to try to unpack all this. But I just want you to see one prophecy concerning Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 through 53 that we just read. This is very obscure. It's typically not found in any uh, cross-references, and I'm going to talk about that when we teach how to mark your Bible. Sometimes you get your own cross-references. Now, it might be. It might be, but it's not listed in my Bible. All right, look at verse 19. "'Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise.'" Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, or dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So there's a prophecy of what we just read in Matthew 27, but also there's also an application to what's going to happen to us. If I die before the rapture, man, I'm going to come right up out of the sod. Praise the Lord. So it's got a partial prophecy concerning that issue, of course, but specifically about what we just read in Matthew 27. So I would certainly assume most heretics don't know the Bible, but they know enough of it, and they cherry-pick enough stuff to justify their false doctrines. And that is, listen, take my word for it. It's 100% true. Just 100% true. They don't know the Bible they don't believe the Bible, and, but they cherry-pick enough stuff, and they never say, well, I don't know the Bible, and I don't believe it. They're not going to say that. They're going to point their finger and call me a heretic. Well, how do you know? You know, and that's the big question. Well, how do you, and this is what I get from folks, and I can think of a few that we've crossed our paths they're like, well, how do we know what's true? How do you know you're right and they're wrong? And I'm like, well, that's not difficult. Look, I don't think, I'm not that arrogant to think I'm right about every single thing, but I'm not continuing on something that I think is wrong just for the sake of it. I'm not ever going to be too invested in any fight that I can't change my mind on when I'm taught something from the Scriptures. How about you? But you know, when I come to that issue, I'm like, this isn't that hard. I have a book. We can prove it. And their stuff only goes so far. You know what they're like? And we're going to see this in this book. We're going to see this as this progression. This is one letter. Remember 2 Timothy? Do you remember two guys? We didn't even know their name until Paul wrote it down in 2 Timothy. Janus and Jambres. You remember them? They were the magicians of Pharaoh. And, and, and when Moses and Aaron came in and started working miracles... Uh, in the form of plagues, but in miracles right in front of Pharaoh, they were able to mimic those same miracles. Do you remember those guys? Yeah. But only to a point. Only to a point. And it's just like false teachings. They can find scriptures, but it's only to a point. It will come to an end. And the Bible wins. Not you and I. The Bible wins. So very, very important issues. So could these guys, if we go back to these guys, could they have said, you know what, that resurrection happened. It happened when Jesus arose from the dead. Because again, I'm coming from the standpoint that they're believers, or they're saved, rather, I guess we could say. 
and they're, they're saying, well, that happened. It's over. It's past. So it could be that. I, I don't know. It, it could be that they were refuting Paul based on those scriptures, uh, saying that that was the only resurrection of the saints. But, but nevertheless, these types of fallacies in a form, they're still around today. It's not exactly the same, probably, but they're around today. And today, this erroneous belief includes both saved and unsaved blasphemers of biblical truth. And I documented these things, and I'm not going to get into them because it'll keep us from the meat of this passage today. So that's why I wrote it all down. And I know some of you are wanting me to go through it all, uh, but then it would be part one of four parts. All right, so first of all, we see a or amillennialist, I believe is the proper uh, enunciation of that. That's no millennial reign of the, of the righteous on earth. And, and more or less, uh, they're saying that, uh, that, that the millennium is actually happening now. And let's just say if, if Christ in their, in their deal was to return, let's say, in the next 50 years, that would be 950 years uh, of this, this uh, 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 it's already passed. So it fits this. It's passed. Does that make any sense? And some of you are like, I'm not sure. Just read it later. And to be honest, and I listed Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and Presbyterians and Lutherans and other Reform, Re Reformation Protestants. Uh, uh, come on, folks. Most of them, they don't have a clue of anything like this. They don't know any of these doctrines. And then there's another similar error, post-millennialists, and that's Christ returns after the so-called millennium, uh, so-called millennium they say so-called, not us. And, and that's that after the world is properly evangelized, it will be, it will be, the world's just going to go get better and better and better, and then Jesus will come. That's what it is, more or less. That's why that belief is declining. Listen, the only thing that we get better at is killing each other. Nuclear weapons, man. Yeah, they really are effective. So baloney. And then there are what I call the rapture confusionists. I like that so much. I, I couldn't find a name for them, so I made one up. And I'm like, well, I think we're going to go with that. You like that? All right, so I'm going to have to write a book and have it copywritten. Oh, to... to to feed my pride. No. Rapture confusionists, that's any and all Christian denominations that do not or will not teach the rapture of church-age saints due to willful ignorance, maybe they don't know, or biblical illiteracy, you know, maybe they don't want to know or maybe they just don't know, or fear of their constituency, which is probably more true. The strange beliefs are plentiful with too many to, names to list in this setting. They don't hold any of the above, amillennialism, postmillennialism, or any of that stuff, and nor do they believe the Bible's clear references to the premillennial pre return of Christ. Now, these false teachings are often very complex in all three of these categories. They're very complex and illogical, not to mention unbiblical. So when you start down the rabbit hole of these teachings, you're going to be so confused. They'll be the people that are teaching this, they'll actually be so confused that their ignorance of what the scriptures say will only be unknown to them. <laughs> and why? Because they're going to be the only ones that are right. The select few that are the right ones. Even the lost world tends to look at people that buy into all these weird things, and they might think we're weird. You got lost people thinks you're weird? And I, we, all, we do. If you're doing any kind of evangelizing or witnessing, you're living out your faith, they're going to think you're weird anyways. But these are folks, they get on this, they're all like this. They, they have this one issue, maybe two, but one issue, and that's what they just, they, they're after that issue, whatever it is, over and over and over and over and over, to where even the lost world's like, <laughs> they're kooks. 
it's true. It's 100% true. So, you end up like they all do, and typically it's alone. A lot of times they end up not going to any church at all because they're too smart for any church. That's the truth. I mean, this happens with them all. This isn't just, if, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, that's, I know somebody like that. Yeah, we all do. They're all the same. Or they'll be bound together within a small band of Christian kooks just like them. It's weird. We're premillennialists because the Bible clearly says it. Premillennialism is the rapture of church-age saints followed by the second coming of Christ, which, which will usher in the literal, physical, 1,000-year reign with Jesus ruling from Mount Zion in Jerusalem and lots of other incredible, cool, true details that line up with every word in the Bible. And this is going to happen in the future, not the past. The resurrection is not past in any form. The resurrection is in our future. And this is important in today's study. Praise God we have a book we can trust and that counts every word as pure. And thank God we have a book that we can study and rightly divide so we understand what is, lies ahead. And mark it down. These are heretics, and their goal is to overthrow the faith of some, to overthrow what you currently believe. Now, some go from the frying pan into the fire. This always is a bummer, man, isn't it? When you see somebody who's involved in a false religion, you know, let, let's say that they're, uh, they're, they're, they're in Roman Catholicism, and then the Jehovah's Witness, they generally not are Mormons, but let's just use that as an example, knocks on their door, and they let them in, and they start talking to them, and then they go from the frying pan into the fire, and they leave that, and then they become something else. Isn't that discouraging? Well, that's what heretics do. They're okay with doing that. And on the other hand, some Christians that believed in sound doctrine and methods, they end up shipwrecked, as it were. And these heretics, they seek to gain some, not all, just some. Looking for those that are vulnerable, the weaker Christians that do not know or perhaps do not believe what the Bible says. They're not exercised enough to, under, to work their faith out. And that's why we must all know how to study the Bible and believe it. Remember the context? Look at verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, which unprofane and vain. And it goes right into this issue. Look, we are here to help you in our church. We can actually have someone personally meet with you and help you grow stronger in your spiritual life. Now to the meat of today's message. How to avoid their deceptions. Now please pay attention. This is going to be so simple that it's going to be very easy to miss. And you're going to, you're, the, 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 the problem you're going to face today is you're going to think, yeah, 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 I know this. Oh, well, I got that. Oh, no. If you start thinking that, that's for you. So pay attention. All right, simply put, look at verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. Shun them. They'll increase. If you don't, they're going to increase unto more godliness. So simply put, number one, shun their words. Do not receive their false teachings. Reject them. And listen, shun them too. Uh, shun them unless or if you're not related to them, and you can't do that because you love them. But reject them after you have admonished them once or twice, according to Titus 3, 9 through 11. We read it. And again, if they're your beloved relatives, treat them with loving kindness, but simply shun their words and avoid conversations about their errors, and it's okay to tell them that. Matter of fact, you need to tell them that. And let them know how much you love them. But we're not receiving this kind of nonsense. Stop with it. Stop with it. That's how it works out in our house. Stop with it. Now, it might be a lot different in your house, and I hope it is. We're Fred and Wilma Flintstone, aren't we, Linda? I'm in the backyard mowing on the riding mower. 
Linda yells out, Tom! What? Phone! I can't! I'm mowing! I mean, it's just our life. And I'm a lot louder than Linda. Sorry, honey. But she still is Wilma. And that's not any, you know, I'm going to talk about their intellectual capacity, the Flintstones, just their loudness. All right? Now, warning, if you do not do this in some form or another, if they're your relative or if they're not, if you don't do this, it's going to lead to more ungodliness because you're going to get sucked up into endless circular conversations leading to ungodly thoughts, actions, or reactions. So listen, okay, now this is going to sound funny, not to those of you that are here in our church, but don't read their materials. Don't listen to them on the radio. Don't watch them on TV. Don't watch or listen to them on the internet. And don't let them into your home or entertain them at your door. And that's not cultish. It's not. This is not meant to sound that way. It's biblical. Isn't that what he's saying? If it's contrary, this will help you. And you're like, well, that means i got to trust you. Okay, look, you're on your own between you and God. You're going to have to make this choice. But here's how it works. If it's contrary to our doctrinal statement and common sense and the things that we teach here, look, we don't all agree on everything, do we? I mean, if I start here in the room and start working around, we all got our own opinions and, our, and how things work out, don't we? That's okay. We're not all drinking the, from the same Kool-Aid well. I don't expect you to agree with everything, every single thing I say. That's not humanly possible. Look, I, I got my own beliefs over years of what my thinking, and sometimes some of you will come up to me and say something to me, and I'll go, hmm, curveball. Oh, that's cool to think about. We're not talking about huge things here. We're talking about this opinion stuff, the, the, what I'm saying now. This isn't the issue. This is big stuff. If it's contrary to our doctrinal statement and common sense, stiff arm it. Avoid it. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your way. Listen, this is very important and simple instructions that have served me well since I was saved. And I was taught to do this early on in my Christian life. And because as my wife would testify, after I got saved, I was entertaining all the kooks that were coming to my door, wasn't I, Linda? Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, anywhere. I'd go out and I would be debating them on in endless conversations. And guess what was happening? was getting into my head. And I had a dear brother catch me after church one day. and I, So I'm studying all these cults, studying all this stuff so I can win an argument. Pride. And this very humble guy, Brad Reynolds. You know Brad Reynolds. You know he's a humble man. He pulled me aside and he said, you know, You need to stop this. You're either in the right church or you're not. You know, just follow what, what the teachings are here and just get rid of all that other stuff. You don't need to spend all your time and letting that in your head. It's just, it's just not going to go well for you. It never does. He, he said, you know, you know how they, you know how they, uh, I never forgot this. He says, you know how in a bank, they always have to be aware of counterfeit money and they always have to be able to recognize it very quickly. And do you know how they find counterfeit money? And I'm like, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting called in the car. I'm getting dressed down by this guy. And I said, no. And he says, do, you, do they study counterfeiters? And they read about them. And they look at all their bills and all their counterfeit money. Do they do that? And I'm like, yeah, probably. And he goes, no, they don't have time because they're movable. Their ways are movable, like in Proverbs says. They, once they figure something out, they'll do something else. No, no, no. You know what they do, Tom? And he's, he's just kind of doing this number. And he says, uh, they study real money. And they handle it so often. And they look at real money so often that any false stuff that comes by, they just know it. You got to 
pick, folks, or you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. At least we, we tell you here, don't believe what we say, check it out. Don't we do that? Okay, but it, you need to connect somewhere, and this is the right place to connect because we're all in this together. We're all working to keep us honest, all of us. So reject that stuff. Just reject it. Just shun it, stiff arm it, avoid it. Very, very important. Next, stand on God's sure foundation. Look in verse 19, and we'll finish here. Nevertheless, I told you it's simple. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, because they're trying to overthrow you with error, saying this and that about the resurrection. Let me, let me study this. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this what? Seal. And now he gives it in an A and B. It's a, it's a seal, but it's really two. It's like an A and B. They both work perfectly together. And here it is. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And this is it. Very profound. Number one, stand fast upon your salvation. If you've received Christ as your personal Savior, even if you sometime have doubts, these are seals or a seal. And they're founded upon God's sure foundation. Listen, listen, not yours. God's. That's huge and important. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of truth. Think about it. It's in the context of this. Your salvation, you get saved, and it's all about what's ahead of you. It's all about the future, not about the past. From the moment you got saved, a new life began with you and in you, and it lasts throughout eternity. And so it's not just to, to, to stand fast on your salvation. Yes, the, but the Lord knoweth them that are His. So He knows this about you. And everything now is future. What's going to happen in the future? Man, praise the Lord. So no matter what it is you're going through, it will pass. Isn't that good news? It really is. Listen, God knows, on your study sheet, God knows that you're saved, and He has a sound biblical plan for your life, uh, whether or not sometimes you know that or not. Listen, I, I remember I was praying to get saved because I'm, I'm like, it can't be that easy, and I was so vile. It can't, it can't be true. I mean, I, I believe it, but I, I mean, I, would, I prayed probably 60, 70, 100 times Lord, if I'm not saved, I, I'm going to admit I'm a, I admit I'm a sinner. I prayed the sinner's prayer over and over and over. And my pastor, Mark Trotter, he never got mad. Uh, he, did, he just didn't get that way. He wasn't that kind of a person. And he got mad at me, and it really freaked me out. Stop it! Stop it! What are you doing? I'm tired of hearing this. I don't want to hear this out of you one more time. I thank God for that kind of instruction. I needed it. It's hard. I'm glad he talked to me that way. It was very important. God knows that you're saved, and he has sound, a sound biblical plan for your life. So you know what your job is? To figure out what that plan is and press forward to accomplish it for Christ's sake. Your doubt is wasting time. Stop it. Uh, Ephesians, uh, uh, turn over to Ephesians quickly and look in Ephesians chapter uh, 5. Verse 14, uh, verse 14, wherefore he saith, Ephesians 5, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. He's talking to believers. Wake up. You don't have an abundant life. He's not talking about their salvation. He's, he's writing to believers. Uh, wake up. Wake up. 
See then, verse 15, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You better look around and see what's going on around you. Verse 16, redeeming the time. Don't waste time because the days are evil. You start wasting time on all this heretical nonsense and you're going to waste all of our time. You take down more people. That's what good soldiers and good Marines do, don't they? Danny, weren't they taught that? You don't leave anybody behind. And so uh, the VC in my era, in Vietnam, you'd step in a, in, in a, in a little uh, uh, trap, little booby trap, and it wasn't designed to kill you. It was designed to wound you. You get a punji stick right through your boot, right through your foot, dipped in mire, dipped in manure, dipped in human feces. And, and so now, it depends on how big you were, it'd take one or two other people out with you, Right? It was designed that way. You don't, where do you think that these, these diabolical ideas come from? They come from the devil. You're of your father, the devil. Listen, folks, be careful. Watch it. Look at it. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It is God's will that you don't waste time. Have you done that yet? Okay, sorry, I'm letting it all out of the bag. Yeah, you don't, you're not to waste, it's God's will that you not waste time, so stop it. Just, just stop it. Heretics are trying to waste your and our valuable time. So here's what you do. Believe what the Bible says, hold fast the promise of God as it concerns you and your future, and don't let doubt rule the day. Look in 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. And look in verse uh, 20, 1 John 3, 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. So then stop doubting. Have confidence toward God and His truth and His Word. Did you do that? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Is that true about the resurrection, the rapture? and all? Yes, it's what it says. Then believe it and move on. Know it, study it, get it. I'm not dissing any of that stuff. I'm not saying you read our doctrinal statement, you just believe it. I'm not saying, study it all out. But move on. Don't let these guys into your head. Hold fast the promises of God. Didn't we just sing that this morning? And one of the lines, hold fast the promises of God as it concerns you and your future. Do not let doubt rule the day. Listen, unbelief is sinful. Uh, if you put that up, for whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. And how about this one in Hebrews? But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the what? of them that diligently seek Him. Your reward is in the future. Your reward, it might be immediate, but it's you do what God says, you, He blesses you, and it's after that, whether it's immediate or in eternity. It's the future. And then number two, depart from iniquity or sin. And like I said, we tend to think in terms of big sins, but it starts real small. Oh, yeah. Stop what you know is wrong and sinful. If not, if not, you are on the road to heresy already. And it can be just something little. And it can be a little heresy that none of us know about, that you can hide easily. It's just something real personal to you. Little here, little there. Some little thing that you're not going to be right about with God on. And you know you're not right with God on. And what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? It leads to more ungodliness. You know what happens? Then you, then you start building up a whole network of reasons why, why that's somehow justified. Well, I'm going to, and then you'll overdo it in another area so that you feel better about it instead of just dealing with it. So get rid of it. And if not, listen, and unbelief is sin. And if not, you're on the road to heresy of some kind. Who knows where all this starts? 
It starts off small. So, develop a plan to get out of that sin that so easily besets you. Repent and change. Walk with God. And this will give you the assurance that you need. Uh, uh, You're in 1 John. Look over in chapter 2. Verse 1, my little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And, and I'm thankful for this, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Because we're still sinners. And He, Jesus Christ the righteous, is the propitiation. That's the satisfactory sacrifice, the acceptable payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Obeying God will give you assurance. And when you have assurance then, uh, of what you believe in any area, then you're not going to be taken over by error. Hello? And and look at the last verse in this book, 1 John. It's the craziest thing in the world. This is the greatest book in the Bible about the assurance of the believer and the security, the eternal security of the believer. And here's how it ends. It's the greatest book in the Bible about it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. (laughs) Amen. We're all susceptible to temptation and sin, and God knows this, and God's greater than your own condemnations of yourself. It's the craziest thing. Crazy, crazy stuff. See, when you don't obey and trust God, you're miserable. Oh, you can fake it. You can make it look like everything's okay, and the world won't know any better. They'll, they'll see it, and some people in the world might even notice that. But when you won't stand on these foundational seals or seal, when you won't shun heretical words, you're on the road to perdition. And it's not that difficult. Little sins turn into big problems. And you're on the path to fallacies. You're going to be easier to overtake if you just don't deal with stuff. And just like he did in this text, you know what he did? He dealt with them. He named their names. You know what? You need to name the name of your, your little stuff or your big stuff. You need to name it. You need to write it down like he did. Hymenus, Philetus. The resurrection is past already. Be honest with God about it, just like he was. And you can deal with it. You shun those things. Avoid them. No, I'm not dealing. Burn the bridge, man. Burn it down. That's not a bridge you need. Christians give up too easy. Why? So they can leave the bridge intact. Burn it down. Stand fast in your salvation, which includes everything in the future, and depart from iniquity. Depart from sin. And you won't get sucked up into error. Trust me, you won't. Trust God, you won't. These seals and this instruction will allow you to avoid error, so please take it seriously. Would you bow your heads?